Now we're going to move on. A reading from God's word. This is from Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and then many years passed. And Jacob the father of Joseph was the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from all their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I would like to welcome you as well. My name is Devana Brazier. Bart did introduce me, and he also stole my introduction to my sermon, which was about how we can't go into New Year's because it is uh, still Christmas. <laughs> so Bart and Katie and I worked together for a really long time, and one of the things we have in common is a deep, deep love for the liturgical calendar. So you don't get me saying it. You have to remember Bart saying it and know that I want to wish you a happy new year, but I can't yet. Because first, we have to finish what we started, which is, this is the last of the sermons in our sermon series on rough roots and beautiful branches. So even though this morning is a time for new gym memberships, email inbox zero and dry January, um, and you have come here probably hoping for some inspirational words to get you through that resolution that you're making for 2023. That is coming. I promise I will get there. But first, we have to figure out what is still here in Jesus's family tree. And we are going to examine Joseph's resolve to step in, as it says in the video, and be Jesus's blue-collared stepfather. What an interesting idea. Um, Jesus is the incarnate God. He's God with us. But he didn't just show up. He was born into a specific family. And that's what the beginning chapter of Matthew is all about, this specific family. And we have a lot of hang-ups about that today. Uh, Bart mentioned this on Christmas Eve, the hang-up about the virgin birth. And this has been hotly debated for about nine months before the first Christmas. And it continues to be debated until this day. And our staff is definitely prepared to talk to you about all of those things, but that would go under a sermon with the title Mary. And I am talking about Joseph. So I'm going to bring up something that's probably a little bit more confusing, which is something that my 13-year-old daughter pointed out to me. And she said, why have we been talking about this family tree 
if it's Joseph's family tree. Jesus isn't even part of it. So what's going on here? Why include Joseph's family tree in Jesus' story if it's the Holy Spirit and Mary that are really the actors here? And I, I want to talk about that with you. Because as we read in Scripture today, Joseph was faithful to the law, it says. He didn't want to expose Mary to public disgrace, and he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And Hebrew law allowed for this. He had every right to do so. From Joseph's perspective, Mary, by all outward appearances, was pregnant by another man. And it was that man's responsibility, and maybe even his privilege, to raise that child. So Joseph Joseph was presented with a choice. He could, after receiving this message from the angel, he could believe what he heard, or he could walk away. One of them was very unbelievable, and one of them was very obvious. He could have just done what the law allowed. So I spent some time as I was preparing for this talk today kind of thinking about what would have happened if Joseph had walked away. What were some alternative outcomes for Jesus, the infant? He still could have been the Messiah. If, jo- if Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, Jesus could still have been here. Um, maybe something could have happened like uh, Mary could have brought Jesus to the temple and he could have been raised like Samuel. That would have been interesting. Or maybe Jesus and Mary could have just lived together and she could have raised him as a single mom. That's a possibility. Maybe Mary would have died in childbirth or left him to be raised by whoever came along and found him. These were all common practices and things that happened all the time in Jesus' day. But that wasn't God's intention. God's intention was for Jesus to be born into a family and a specific family, the family of David, the family of Abraham. And it was also God's intention that Joseph would be an active participant in that story. Because God wants all of us to be active participants. All the people that he made, we are all called to be active participants in God's will for this world. He works out his plans through the actions of people like Joseph, people like you and me. So amazingly, it is actually Joseph's merciful obedience that is how Jesus is in the genealogy of the family of David and the family of Abraham. It's through adoption. I was adopted by my dad, and so I'm just going to talk a little bit about our common understanding, the, the recent understanding of adoption. So my dad chose to adopt me, and we went, and one of my earliest memories is shaking the hand of a judge as he congratulated me on my entrance into my new family. And then my birth certificate was rewritten to have that man be there at my birth. It's crazy, because that didn't really happen. But that's what we do. (laughs) Um, And when we think of adoption today, you think about, oh, we all know someone who is adopted, and we know them as adopted. But that's not how it was back then. There were so many children who died. There were so many people who were unable to give birth. There were so many women who died in childbirth and taking their child with them. And there was so much pressure for a family to be able to pass on their family line to the oldest son that many, many people who didn't have that oldest son would adopt a boy, probably a nephew or maybe one of their educated slaves into their family, and that would be their son. It was completely legitimate. And nobody would say, that's his adopted son. They would just say, that's his son. And that's what happened here. 
Jesus was Joseph's son. And there's more. This is amazing. Because Jesus is not just brought into this family into the rough roots and beautiful branches that we've been talking about. He also is bringing us with him into God's family. We are the fruit of the branches of this beautiful tree. So in Galatians chapter 4, this is what Paul says about us. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship or daughtership. Because you are his sons or daughters, God sent the spirit of his God into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are not a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Isn't that amazing? So if adoption into David's family is good enough for Jesus, our adoption into God's family is good enough for us. Also, as a side note, if you want to talk about this for a lot longer, Brian Kay was reading about it a ton and was going to use it in his sermon on uh, Christmas, and I told him not to because I was using it. So he, he knows more about it than me, and I'm sure he really wants to talk to you about what he learned. <laughs> So Joseph resolved to change course. He did not let Mary go. He married her as he said he would. But it's worth considering that even though he was willing to adopt Jesus into his family, he had no idea what he was getting into. The Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah to come. They'd been waiting forever. They talked about it in their synagogues. They read the prophecies of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Habakkuk, Jeremiah. They were waiting for generations, and they expected him to come soon. And so on some level, I think Joseph knew if this is the Messiah, he's going to overthrow the Romans. This is what's going to happen. I also think that he did not know what that meant because he was an honorable, blue-collar Jewish man. He was a working man, and his job was to have a son, and his son was to become a carpenter and to be a good carpenter because that was the family business. But by the time Jesus was 12, it was already becoming clear to Mary and Joseph that raising the Messiah did not involve passing on the family business. So this is the story from Luke 2, and I included all of it because I think it's funny. Um, So Luke chapter 2, beginning in 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished, and I think angry. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus said, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. I think that's hilarious and also shows how clueless they kind of were. The gospel narratives don't actually include Joseph, 
in Jesus' story after this story here. The next snapshot we see of Jesus is at the wedding of Cana when Mary urges Jesus to turn all that water into wine. And um, I think, obviously, Joseph didn't just disappear. So they were there in their homes, and Mary learned this amazing thing about her son. It was probably bewildering. Yeah, Jesus was a human. He learned to walk. He learned to talk. They taught him how to eat solid food. But I imagine he also did a lot of really amazing things in their home probably even miraculous things. If Mary knew Jesus could turn water into wine, what else happened in front of Joseph that he could have seen? So even though Joseph resolved to step into this unexpected role, God didn't leave Joseph without reassurance. There were things that happened that reassured Joseph that he was on the right track. When Jesus was presented at the temple on the eighth day, Simeon prophesied that this was the Messiah, A complete stranger walked up to the infant Jesus and said, now I can die because I knew I was going to see the Messiah before I did, and it's happened, and I can go in peace. When Jesus was a toddler, the Magi came and found Jesus, and they gave him these super expensive gifts that no blue-collar family would ever expect to receive. All of this was reassuring. All of this let him know he was on the right path. As we're talking about adoption and stepping out into faith, it reminded me of this story I learned at the Foster the City launch last year. Um, Bishop Aaron Blake came as the guest speaker, and he is and was a bivocational pastor in Texas. He was a pastor of a small church of about 200 people, and he was also a guidance counselor in a high school where there were a lot of foster kids in their system. And he noticed through his work that foster kids, especially children of color, were often put into unstable foster situations, and then halfway through the school year, they'd have to change schools. And when they changed schools, they would lose their credits, and many of those kids were at risk of not graduating. And that became a passion for him, to help those kids maintain their credits. He also ended up fostering six kids, even though they had six biological children of their own. And out of that work, he started an organization called Harvest Family Life Ministries. And it grew out of their church's response to him saying, who will help me in this? Who will help me in this? And their church, that one church, fostered every child in their county. It's an amazing story. But what's super amazing about this story to me is that Bishop Blake never intended to be a foster parent. That wasn't his goal. The reason he became a foster parent is because of a misunderstanding between him and one of the students that was in his district. He said in passing, if something ever happens, I I wish I could take you home with me. And what that student heard was, when your placement falls through, I will take you home with me. And his placement fell through. And that boy came to Bishop Blake and said, when am I coming home with you? And they had six biological kids and he'd never talked to his wife about it. (laughs) And so he went home and he told his wife, Mary Blake, what happened, and she said, well, I guess we better become registered foster parents. And she reassured him that it was all gonna be okay. She agreed immediately to go on the path of fostering this kid, even though she'd never met him. She didn't know what she was getting into, and neither did Bishop Blake. And so now I'm going to pivot. I promised you that I would talk to you about New Year's Day, and that time has come. 
We make resolutions. We've all, we don't all make resolutions. Many of us make resolutions, but we all seek to change things because we don't like the way it's going. Joseph resolved to step in and do what God asked him to because he wanted to see his people freed from oppression. He wanted to see that change. Bishop Blake and his wife wanted to see foster kids in stable homes and schools. Those are huge resolutions that have big changes, not just for their families, but for the communities around them too. And most of us make smaller resolutions for littler things that have impacts on us and impacts for the people around us. Um, some people resolve that they're gonna save more money because they realize that their closet is full of clothes they never wear and their wallet is empty. Some people resolve that they're gonna cut out social media because they realize that they're spending 45 minutes watching 30-second video clips. I'm not gonna tell you whose resolution that is. Uh, <laughs> we might resolve to come to church every week because we feel far away from God. There might be people who are in this room right now today because you've resolved that you're finally gonna come and try to figure out what this God thing is all about. Maybe you've been feeling that God is calling you to something, some kind of resolution, something that you resolve to do. And I'm rooting for you. I want you to stick it out. I hope it works. And the reason why I'm rooting for you is because nobody resolves to make things worse. We're trying to make things better. I want that for you. Maybe you're not the resolutions type because that doesn't work for you. And so I'm going to say, great, because as we close today, Everything I'm going to say works whether you have a resolution today or whether you don't. So instead of New Year's resolutions, I want this year to be your New Year's reassurances. This year, regardless of if you've made a resolution or not, let this be the year that you allow God to show you that he is with you, even when things aren't going your way, maybe even especially when things are not going your way. You can look for reassurances in the scriptures. Remember how the Magi brought gifts to toddler Jesus and how that was a reassurance for Joseph that Jesus really was this Messiah that he was expecting? Well, shortly after receiving those gifts, Joseph and his family had to flee to Egypt because Herod had learned from those exact same Magi that there was a tiny king of the Jews that was going to try to take Herod's throne and he wanted to kill all the babies because of it. Even in that hardship, it was a confirmation that the Old Testament prophecies that the Jews knew so well were coming true. And so despite the danger, in spite of the hardship, even that was reassurance that God was on their side. You can also receive New Year's reassurances from your loved ones. Bishop Blake was very open about the challenges of raising foster children alongside his birth children, and he's told this story publicly, both at the event that I went to and also online, so I don't feel bad sharing this story on his behalf. But one of their foster sons burned down their house and everything in it because they left a candle unattended. And so he had to figure out what to do because they still had kids to raise and they didn't have anywhere to live. And so after the event, their kids were at school because they didn't have anything else to do. He and his wife Mary tried to figure out what was gonna happen next. And the two boys that were responsible for that unattended candle thought for sure that they were gonna go to a group home when they were done with school that day. 
And Blake himself was worrying and wondering if it was even safe for him to bring these kids home. But again, it was his wife Mary who reassured him. She said, we've just got to get those kids and bring them home. And home was to the hotel room. God moved Mary Blake to compassion for those kids. She continued to reassure her husband that even though it was hard, harder than they imagined, they were on the right track. And so as you're getting in further into 2023 and the freshness of your New Year's resolutions start to fade away, or worse, the hardship that comes after your difficult decisions that you've made, those hardships starts to weigh down on you, I encourage you to seek out reassurance that God is with you. Look in scripture, not because it's a guidebook for what to do, but because it's full of people working out their challenging relationships with God. Try finishing a read-through of the book of Matthew. We already got started. Just finish it out. And while you're in there, look for characters that you resonate with. How did Jesus interact with them? Is Jesus interacting with you like that? And also look to your loved ones. They know you best, so they know when they can see that you're giving your best effort and when those efforts are paying off. Trust that just like God wanted Jesus to be born and raised into an active and loving family who would care for him, he placed you into a family as well. It might not be your birth family, it might be your found family, but that's where God wants you to be. Allow them to guide you and support you as you're struggling to make these positive changes. And finally, if nothing else is encouraging you as you struggle, be reassured by these words that when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. If adoption into the family of David, the family of Abraham, was good enough for Jesus, our adoption into God's family is good enough for us. Will you pray with me? God, the number of ways this story shouldn't make sense is pretty big, and yet somehow you make sense of it all, and you actively came down here to live amongst us, live with us, and bring us closer to you. And I pray that you would reassure us that this is true and that you love us and you're here to comfort us. Pray that we would have confidence as we move into 2023 that we would be in your will. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.